BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Balanced Blonde Podcast, Soul on Fire. I am so excited to have you here. If you are new to the Soul on Fire Podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And if you are a regular Soul on Fire listener, thank you for coming back and for being a part of our tribe. It's so special. And you guys make me very happy. You set my soul on fire. So full disclosure, I recorded this intro yesterday and I was so stoked about it and I have no idea where it went, what I saved it as on my computer. I feel like it just disappeared. So this is new and we are here to introduce today's guest, Ruby Warrington, the founder of TheNuminous.com and the author of a book that I completely fell in love with, totally changed my life, totally inspired me, Material Girl, Mystical World. And Ruby has been kind enough to offer three books to three of you amazing listeners for those of you who A, follow her on Instagram and B, subscribe to this podcast rate and review it in iTunes and send me a screenshot at jordan at thebalancedblonde.com. So Ruby on Instagram is the underscore numinous, which we will also link to in the show notes. So head over, give her a follow, and then just subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review and email it to me so that I know that you've done it. And you'll be entered into the giveaway. We will keep the giveaway open for about a week because I know that not everyone listens to the podcast right when it comes out. And if you're listening to this way after it comes out, then just stay tuned for upcoming giveaways. And I know that Ruby and I will do more together. We want to host an event together. We just hit it off. She's the coolest ever. Um, on top of her book and on top of her website, she also co-founded with Biat Simkin, last week's guest, who you guys loved so much because she's amazing. They co-founded Club Soda together, the Sober Curious event series in New York City. And that speaks to my soul because I am the most sober curious person in the world. I think I'm basically just committing to the fact that I'm not drinking alcohol for this whole year because I just don't want to. And 
although I don't love putting labels on myself, which is something that Ruby and I discuss in this episode at length, I also just find a lot of freedom in saying I just don't really drink because the truth is I don't. And when I do drink, it's usually for other people to make them happy. And I think that everything we should that we do, we should do because it makes us happy. It makes ourselves happy. And that's what's so cool. And really what makes the world go round is making choices for ourselves and listening to that inner self-love voice that we all have. So I'm excited for you guys to meet Ruby. She's just simply amazing. She's the definition of someone who has set their soul on fire. She left what she perceived to be her dream job in the UK at the Sunday Times as the style editor and founded The Numinous. So I know a lot of you guys will relate to her, her spiritual journey, her whole path through just getting to know herself and embracing all things woo-woo and amazing. So she really fits right in here on this podcast. Everybody fits in. This podcast is for everyone. So please enjoy. Know that I love you guys. I feel with every passing week that this podcast tribe is literally a part of my family. I know that Hudson and Jonathan would tell you the same thing because I'm always, always just talking about the podcast, the amazing listeners, the amazing tribe. And I feel so lucky, so lucky for that. So thank you. And I am also excited to talk to you guys about something that I am loving lately. You know that I've been doing loving lately's on my blog for literally for five years. And I've never really done a loving lately on the podcast, but I think it's something I want to bring to maybe not every podcast intro because you know I am not the best with structure and with staying on top of something like that every single week. But maybe if you guys love it, then I really will. So let's talk about something that I'm loving lately, which is this incredible coconut oil-based lube that you may have seen on Instagram because I feel like a lot of people have been talking about it ever since it launched. It's brand new, so it just launched. So you'll be some of the first to experience it. It's called Woo for Play. And I'm a fan of it for so many reasons. We'll see if I can condense the reasons so that I can talk about it here in the intro. But I think the top thing that I love about it is that it empowers women to bring a sexual health product to the bedroom because it is something that we would be using or I would be using, I'll speak for myself, in my everyday life regardless. It's so good for you that it is literally edible and it's something that you can use during sex. That's what it was made for. So when it comes to having sex, I think there's a couple things that are really important. A hygiene and B, you want it to feel really good and C, just being completely natural and organic with all of the products that you're using, putting on and into your body. So with Woo for Play, they use 100% natural and organic coconut oil. That is the main base of the lubricant. And it is not only 100% natural and organic, but it is also raw non-GMO, antiviral, antifungal, and antibacterial. So the coconut oil 
kills germs, which is awesome because for those of us who are highly sensitive people, we're very prone to UTIs and you just want to be really careful with what you're using when you're actually putting it down there on your body. So coconut oil kills germs. Also, it uses natural stevia, which also cleanses and kills germs. And of course, is my favorite ingredient in anything ever. It also uses vanilla essence and beeswax. So the beeswax is completely natural. It stimulates relaxation. It helps to soothe pain, helps to soothe inflammation, which you know for me, my whole body has been inflamed for a while. So anything that will help to soothe inflammation is just amazing in my book. So I really want you guys to try Woo for Play for so many reasons. And they're offering a 10% discount code for our Soul on Fire listeners. When you head to wooforplay.com and use the promo code BLONDE. So that is W-O-O-F-O-R-P-L-A-Y.com slash blonde. And the final thing about it that you guys will really love is that the packaging is discreet and cute and the branding is really beautiful. So that's why I said it's been all over Instagram because it's actually amazing branding. So this product is not something that you'll want to shove into your nightstand when you when it arrives, but also just kind of have it hanging out by your bed. It's really cute. It's awesome. This is a subject that shouldn't be so taboo to talk about. This is women's sexual health and also just taking control in the bedroom and bringing a product that we're really proud of using because we would use it in our daily life. So we're bringing it into our relationship, into the bedroom, the most intimate place there is. So try it out. Use that code BLONDE. Let me know what you think. I really look forward to hearing what you think. And well, we'll make this like a blog loving lately where I give at least a couple things that I'm really, really loving. So I'll say the second thing that I'm loving lately is that I am doing a liver cleanse at Surya Spa, the Ayurvedic spa where I did my Panchakarma. And yes, my full Panchakarma recap is coming. I've been trying to psych myself up to share all about it because it was so meaningful to me that this episode is just going to, oh, it's going to just capture everything. And I think it'll go up next week. But this liver cleanse that I'm doing is because when I was at Surya Spa, they discovered not only do I have this full body eczema and hives, but that those eczema and hive rashes are being caused most likely by parasites, more specifically tapeworms that I have inside of my system. I know it's disgusting, but I tell you guys everything. And I also have gallstones, but a lot of people have gallstones. So this is something I'll talk about at length when I do the Panchakarma recap. But um, because of the gallstones, the tapeworms, the gut health issues, the rashes, all of that good stuff, my amazing Ayurvedic doctor recommended that I do a liver cleanse at Surya. And by the time you guys listen to this, I will have just finished. I will have just done the big purging point, which is when you drink olive oil with Epsom salt and like a little bit of grape juice. And that's after you drink malic acid for about a week, which condenses all the toxins in your body to your liver. And then when you drink the olive oil Epsom salt concoction, everything is expelled 
through the body in the morning and you feel like a brand new radiant human, your liver is fully cleansed, your skin is glowing, and I just cannot wait for that feeling. So currently, I am on day two of drinking malic acid every day and I'll update you guys. It's exciting. So I'm definitely loving that lately. And then third, I guess, okay, because I'm just staring at my kitchen right now. Um, the third thing that I'm loving lately is that Four Sigmatic has come out with a bunch of new products. This is not a sponsorship, but you can use the code BLONDE for 15% off at checkout for anything Four Sigmatic. And I just get a little commission, which is awesome because I drink their products like 10 times a day. So I feel like I'm a walking poster board for them. But I just interviewed the founder, Taro. He'll be on in a couple weeks. And I'm staring at the new hot cacao mix that he brought me, which is they switched out cayenne for ginger, which is because cayenne is actually a nightshade. And a lot of us are intolerant to nightshades, including me. And honestly, I didn't put it together that cayenne was a nightshade until he told me that. So uh, there's that. I'm excited about those. And the final thing that I'm loving lately is that Ruby... I basically manifested her on this podcast. So boom, love it. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the Ruby interview. And without further ado, we'll dive into it. I love you guys. Leave that rating and review for the podcast. Subscribe, enter our book giveaway with Ruby, Material Girl, Mystical World. That book will change your life. Hello, guys. I am sitting here with someone who inspires me so much. I'm just so beyond thrilled to have her here to chat about everything mystical and amazing and (laughs) author life and all the good things. I have Ruby Warrington, the founder of TheNuminous.com and the author of Material Girl, Mystical World, a book that can be seen on my nightstand at any given time. I just have reread so many parts of your book. It's so phenomenal. And you're also the founder of Club Soda NYC. Yes, that's right. The Sober Curious series. (laughs) The Sober Curious event series. Yes, indeed. Hi. Hi, Ruby. (laughs) It's so nice to be here. It's so (laughs) nice to have you here. So everybody listening, we're sitting in my hotel in the East Village. It's very lovely. We have a nice view of the city outside and Mm -hmm. so fun to finally sit down and meet. So Mm. I usually like to start the interviews because we'll talk a lot and a lot about what you do Mm -hmm. um, by telling us what do you like to do in your free time? Free time? What's that? Or, <laughs> or just non-free time, no. what do you enjoy? That's like, that's such a kind of old world sort of like, I work 24-7 and I love what I do. And so it doesn't feel like work, which is all kind of true. Like all those statements are true. But recently I've really been carving out time that's actual switch off time because I found that as much as, yeah, I love what I do. I'm an entrepreneur and I've created all these projects that are a reflection of me and who I am and what I'm passionate about. And I still got super burnt out doing that. So recently, thank you for asking, I have been creating some free time and I like doing things that allow me to just be as quiet 
as possible. Things like I've been loving making big batches of soup recently. Mm. I've been loving, (laughs) I love reading novels, like, you know, just kind of escaping into a novel, escaping into a good story. I just read The Witches of New York, which is great by Amy McKay. I'll have to check that out. It's a good one. Um, I love, this is so dorky. I love doing crossword puzzles. You do? <laughs> I do. Those are fun. <laughs> yeah. And I also read recently that they can help ward off Alzheimer's. So, you True. know, those things are good. Um, yeah. I love doing yoga. I do a lot of yoga glow. You probably know mm-hmm. yogaglow.com. I love recommend it. it to people all the time. So I love doing yoga. Um, yeah, quite solitary things. My work life is so busy and it's so people populated, I guess you could say. Like it's all about interviewing people and writing about things and meeting people and hosting events. And as an introvert, I really have found the need to carve out time that's kind of like just for me to be alone. Um, and I think that a lot of people are experiencing that desire, actually. We all introverts, extroverts, whatever, because of social media, we're all so out there and so connected all the time. It's something I hear from a lot of people. It's like, I actually just wanted some time to be alone and to just be, to just disappear from the world. (laughs) Yes. That's my favorite pastime. I have to carve out time to be alone. Mm. I have to, Mm. or else my brain starts going like on such overdrive from feeling so overwhelmed Mm -hmm. that it's just not good. And it doesn't serve my work. It doesn't serve my heart or my soul at all. So that's amazing that you're taking that time for yourself. Yeah. And it kind of, yeah, I'm I'm really happy to, well, you know, not happy to have got to a point where I felt like I really had to, but I'm um, happy to have remembered that it's okay to just like switch it all off. I yeah. actually, this is my latest thing. I'm turn, taking the Instagram app off my phone from Friday night through Monday. Ooh, Ooh. I love that idea. <laughs> and it's amazing. I feel like I've got my weekends back. Oh it's my like, gosh. Oh, wow. Not that I don't love the Instagram community and being on there and the way that it connects people, but it is, I didn't realize the extent to which it just kind of leaves me with this feeling of like being constantly kind of on still and constantly available. And like, I can't just breathe out and yeah, just disappear for a little while, you know? Yes. That feeling <laughs> of being constantly on is something I think we don't recognize so often because it's just part of our life. It's Mm -hmm. something that has become, Mm. we are so used to it. Mm -hmm. But similarly, when I just did that Panchakarma that I was telling you about, and I Mm. took seven days away from life, and then I took four of those days off of all technology. Mm. So not even phone to speak to my parents, nothing. Mm. Um, So obviously no social media. And I felt like I got my life back and I could (laughs) research things that I wanted to know about and read books that I was interested in and watch documentaries that I had been hearing about. And I kept thinking to myself, this is what living life is like and having that free time too, just giving it to myself. So it's not scrolling through Instagram for fun, which turns into work because then I'm responding to messages and, oh, I'll just post something. Oh, there's all my hashtags. Yes. Interacting with people, being so on, it's a lot. Exactly. And it's also, you know, we kind of like taught to believe that it's good to be popular and it's good to be outgoing and it's good to be connected. And it is, of course, all of those things. It's lovely to feel connected to so many people. And at the same time, 
it's also really important to like just be by ourselves, you know? <laughs> it is. So would you consider yourself an extroverted introvert or just an introverted introvert or which one of those? <laughs> <laughs> I write about that in my book, right? Um, yes. And I actually, for my second book, I've just been reading Suzanne Kane's book, Quiet, mm. The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. So... Cool. Adding that to my list. <laughs> that sounds so good. It's fascinating. She really talks about how the 20th century really saw the emergence of this extroverted ideal that was all about the cult of personality. Whereas before that, it had been about the, the, the um, people were much more concerned with character, which was really about your inner life and your kind of actions in the world versus kind of like how you presented other people in the world. It's so interesting. But I think, yeah, we all fall somewhere on the scale between extrovert and introvert. And I think I'm probably, I think I'm an extroverted introvert. I really love people and I love connecting with people and I love conversing and communicating with people much more so one-on-one though, like we said earlier. Mm -hmm. But I also get very depleted when I'm, I don't get enough time by myself. I don't get recharged by big events and being around lots of people. It has the opposite effect on me. Me too. Funny that you say that because I I think I'm also more of an extroverted introvert. But again, it really depends on the day. Mm. I think maybe that's something you've talked about also. Some days I feel very extroverted and social. <laughs> and other days I do not want to see anyone. Mm-hmm. And last night, for example, I hosted an event mm. here in New York and I got so much energy from this event. Somehow it just went really well and everyone was so wonderful and a lot of my friends were there and the adrenaline that I got was so extreme. This event ended technically at six. I was Mm. there until about 7.30. I swear I was awake until three or four in the morning. Wow. Because my system is so sensitive that even though I came home and I took a bath and I read a book and I did all the things that I know I have to do to wind down, my system was on overdrive and I was so overstimulated. I was very upset that I didn't have my CBD oil with me to sleep (laughs) because it really cures insomnia for me. Right, yeah. Well, it was very, very not good. And I just wonder for people like us who, I mean, I don't think that was being recharged from an event. That was like some kind of crazy like overdrive loop of overstimulation. And I wonder for us, and maybe the book that you're reading is really good for that. How do we work to combat that overstimulation? I experience that thing you just spoke about pretty much every time I do an event. And it messes me up because it's like, I know that I can't schedule anything for the day after the event because I'm going to be tired and I'm going to need like literally a whole day to recover. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like... (laughs) And, and part, yeah, it's like, it's like an adrenaline high. It's, it's really interesting. But I feel like, yes, as we, certainly for me, as I've stepped onto this path, which began as kind of like wellness and then sort of stepping into this more mystical path, I've become more and more sensitized. And this is one of the, the kind of like the downsides, I suppose, of that. I would much rather be really sensitive and really in tune with my body and my emotions and my intuition and all of these things, which are great about about raising your sensitivity, but at the same time, yeah, how to manage self-care in those situations. I don't know. It's really tough. I wish I, I wish I had an answer. I mean, I think for me it's just, yeah, be mindful of like the next day. Don't book anything big the next day mm-hmm. and just be accepting of it. I sometimes feel like in those kind of insomniac moments, 
the beating myself up about like, I wish I could just go to sleep. This is terrible. Is actually very counterproductive. If I could just like lie there and meditate or whatever. It's funny you mentioned about the CBD oil. This happened to me last week, actually. Um, Cap Beauty have have done a, a CBD oil that's meant to be used in cooking, I think. And I was in my kitchen just kind of like, pacing around, like not knowing what to do with myself. And um, I saw it on the counter. I was like, aha, okay, I'm going to try that. And I did go to sleep after having some. So it really works. It's it's something I've been using Mm. for about a year. I Mm -hmm. need to try theirs because I love all their products. Mm -hmm. And the ones for cooking, I find usually aren't quite strong enough for Mm. the really bad type of insomnia Mm -hmm. that I can get. Mm. So I get this kind of like prescription kind, but anything helps. I would have taken any form of CBD or anything that would help last night. The other thing that really helps me is, and I don't know if you've ever tried this, but often I'll have racing thoughts, obviously, as a result of this kind of an adrenaline high. And often I'll find, I'll get out of bed and actually just write down everything that's going around my head. Mm -hmm. And just getting it out of my head and onto paper tends to help as well. Yes. Yes. We're similar. Mm -hmm. I started doing that last (laughs) night. I was was writing a whole book in the middle of the night in my head thinking like, why can't this happen during the morning hours Mm -hmm. tomorrow? That would be Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. But that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording with, we are such writers and Mm -hmm. that's what we love. And that's where your passion is. You're working on your second book, Mm -hmm. which is so amazing that you're back in the writing mode of a book. So tell everyone listening kind of your journey from working at the Sunday Times in the UK Mm -hmm. to starting the Numinous, writing your book, which I'm sure so many people listening have read or will read. So tell us how that went for you. Um, Well, I pursued a career in fashion journalism after I decided that I always wanted to be a fashion designer or a stylist because I just loved clothes and dressing up and but I kind of realized there was it was actually very difficult to kind of make it in that sort of arena. It didn't feel like a feasible career option to me. And so I studied journalism instead because I'd always loved magazines also and wound up being pretty successful in that career. And actually it was, it was kind of like at, at fashion college that I reconnected. And I say reconnected because I'd always loved reading and writing as a kid. I reconnected with the joy that I found just through expressing myself in the written form as an introvert, (laughs) an introvert, introvert, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, writing is my preferred way of expressing myself. And I really find a flow like that. I feel I can be, yeah, just really kind of like, just express what I truly mean that way. And so pursued a career in fashion journalism, which broadened out to just kind of lifestyle writing. I did a lot of interviews, lots of celebrities and things, as I kind of peppered my book throughout a few little tidbits from yeah. some of those interviews. And I really, really loved that side of the job too. And I, yeah, I found, I found myself kind of 15 years into this career in my dream job at the Sunday Times. It was everything I'd ever wanted, where I wanted to work. It had so much kudos that came with it. But I was just really like, the feeling I kept getting was like, is this really it? Is this really it? Is this everything? Like 30 years, I'm just over 30. I'm like, is this really what I want to do with my life? Is this like everything I have to give? Is this everything I have to give? It's kind of where I got to. Um, And the answer was just no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I didn't know where to go from here because this was all I'd ever, this was the biggest ambition I'd really given myself. And it was at that point I decided to study astrology because I'd always, since I was a little girl, just loved astrology, been completely fascinated with this whole kind of like language that 
really seemed to help describe human beings and myself, the people I knew, just give another window of insight into who we are and what we need and how we operate in the world. I was fascinated by it. And so decided that I would learn to read birth charts, um, potentially become an astrologer. <laughs> yes. We touched on I this earlier really. as well, right? You kind of, anything that you're into, it's like, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do this. So I thought maybe I can be an astrologer. And I began studying, or I, I began a sort of mentorship with our um, astrologer at the Sunday Times. It's called mm-hmm. Shelley von Strunkel, this amazing woman, so well-traveled and well-read in every kind of mystical tradition and all the different Eastern philosophies. And I would go and sit in her apartment and she'd just tell me all these stories about her amazing travels and about all these different, like I said, these different mystical traditions. And I just, she used the word numinous in a conversation that we had. And as soon as I heard that word, being a lover of words and writing, Mm -hmm. I was just like, wow, what an amazing word. (laughs) Numinous, what does it mean? And she said, oh, it means that which is unknown or unknowable. And I was just like, that's like, everything. (laughs) And I almost immediately saw it on the cover of a magazine coming from print magazines. That's kind of like what I knew. And so I imagined like a magazine that covered all these topics, but in a really beautiful kind of Vogue style way. It just, I didn't see anything out there that existed like that. And I thought, wow, maybe I could produce that. And then immediately it became this huge project, this huge task that was just so overwhelming. I was like, I'm never going to have the time. Like, I'm never going to leave my job. Even though I don't really like my job, I'm never going to leave because it's my dream job. Mm, What? (laughs) And then about a year, six months or so after I'd had this idea, my husband got offered a job in New York. And so I was kind of like then faced with the decision, well, do I leave my job and go to New York? I mean, it didn't didn't really seem like much of a decision, actually. He was going to be moving here to do this job. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to. And I found myself here in February 2012 with like an open, open road ahead of me, really, in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And this numinous idea just kept coming back to me. But it took me about a year to actually launch. We, as we said, you know, we both launched our blogs in the same year. Um, but I've been think I've been like kind of planning it and thinking about it and looking at it and going, really, can I do this? And feeling all the fear and not doing it anyway. <laughs> um and then finally, I think I met, a, I spoke to enough people who managed to convince me that I really had to do this. And it was a question of like, anyone I mentioned it to was like, you need to do that. That sounds really cool. And you're the person to do it. And it took a while for me to believe it and actually do it. But yeah, so that was, that was, then I started the blog. And then it was about a year after that, that someone at HarperCollins approached me about doing a book based on everything I was writing about. So yeah. How amazing. Because yeah. as we were talking about, there wasn't anything like this really out there in 2013. And even today, there's not a whole lot of brands that are mixing mixed mystical principles no. with more modern day. Um, like you bring your fashion touch to it too. Mm-hmm. And something on your website that says blending Celine shoes with the Celestine <laughs> prophecy. And there's not a whole lot of brands out there doing that. I would say mm-hmm. lately more than ever, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of really cool things kind of coming to the forefront that I feel so connected to because that's totally how I feel mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. And I 
also wish that we had known each other in 2013 because I, I lived know. here. Oh my and goodness. We were starting at the same time. <laughs> That's funny. I know. Wow. How Where funny. did you live? I lived in the West Village. So I was living in the West Village too until like. In fact, 2013, I moved to the East Village, but the first year I was in the West Village. Oh my gosh. I was on 13th and 7th, basically. Oh, wow. I was on Christopher and Hudson. That's amazing. We lived around the corner from each other. I love that. I love that area so much. Oh, me too. I'm sure that we crossed paths. I'm sure we did. I was out and about every day at all the organic grocery stores. Stone and Bone. Did you go to Stick Stone and Bone, the crystal store on Christopher Street? No, but I want to go now that I'm here. Because actually back in 2013, I hadn't really awakened yet Mm -hmm. spiritually. Mm. I was writing about healthy food, Mm. vegan food Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm. And a lot has changed since then. Mm -hmm. Now I find myself basically plant-based again, but for a long time I wasn't. Mm. And now label-free is how I like to be. (laughs) And I know that you can relate. Yes, Um, definitely. Oh my God, I should go check out that place if you recommend it. Yes, it's a great one. It's a really good one. And not just crystals, but all sorts of... It was one of the first, because I was having my own awakening, obviously, to this whole world then too. And I was so happy. It was like literally on the next block from my apartment. And I would go in there and it was like, wow. And they had all these kind of like crystal protection rings and things. (laughs) I love that. I need to... I need to stumble in there while I'm here. Definitely. So your journey with spirituality pretty much started with astrology, Mm. it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty amazing because I think for a lot of us, it well, it all starts somewhere. For Mm -hmm. me, it was Kundalini. Mm. And then I later discovered astrology along Mm -hmm. with a lot of other things. Mm. And you went on a retreat with the Astro Twins. Yes, um, I read in your book. Yes. And I immediately looked into it and emailed them. And I was going to try to go (laughs) in April, but I'm I'm going to Bali. I will eventually do something with astrology and maybe them because I obviously trust their opinions. Yes. Um, (laughs) So tell us, how was it to learn to read birth charts? And I know it's a big part of your life now Mm -hmm. where you learn people's rising sign and mood sign mm-hmm. and then you really know a lot about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so tell us yours too. And I'll tell you So mine. my son, I'm Aries sun, Sagittarius rising and have a cancer moon. Mm. So the cancer moon is like my sensitive side. And when I learned about that aspect of my chart, it, it helped make so much sense of myself and my life. Because I'd like, Aries is so kind of like fiery and extroverted. Sagittarius is really risk-taking and again, yeah, really kind of out and fiery, right? And I had always felt way more shy and introverted and quiet (laughs) than those two signs. And I was like, oh, Cancer Moon is about as emo as you get. Totally. (laughs) I'm a Cancer Moon too. Oh, you are? Yeah. And that totally made my world when I learned that. I'm a Libra sun mm. and I really relate to that. I even have a Libra tattoo. Mm. And that was back before I knew even about rising signs or anything. Mm-hmm. But I've always felt connected to being a Libra. And then I learned about my cancer moon, which just explained everything. So my emotional, <laughs> sensitive, introverted mm-hmm highly sensitive person kind Mm. of thing. Mm. And then I'm Aquarius rising. So Mm. I have so much air. Mm. Really, cancer is the only non-air 
thing in oh, my wow. wall chart mostly. Mm. Um, so all the airiness really speaks to me. Mm. And then you have so much fire. So much fire. I'm all fire and water. But the air is kind of like a natural communicator. And the fact you communicate in so many different channels and in so many different ways really speaks to that for sure. Yeah. And then about these very emotionally led kind of issues in terms of our well-being, because I actually think cancer is also the sign of, well, it's also the sign of nurturing and self-care. It is the sign of self-care and self-nurturing. And obviously food, diet, like, help, like ex, you know, yoga, ex, they all play into the idea of self-care, right? So mm-hmm. I love finding another cancer moon because I, I just know, we just know. This, yeah, like, <laughs> we so do. It's so cool. And I've it's met a, a lot lately of yeah. cancer moons. It's, mm. it's amazing. Well, I'm really, so yeah, that the retreat with the Astro Twins really just lifted the lid for me on the really basic kind of birth chart interpretation. And obviously, you know, it's a 5,000 year old story like science in a way. And you can you can go super, super deep, so many different angles of study. And I'm still very much a beginner. But Moon, when I learned about the cancer, it had such an impact on me that really a lot of my work now, my own personal interest focuses on moon sign astrology. Mm. And in so in Western astrology, there's also there's Eastern astrology too, as you know, if you're like Ayurveda. That uses a lot of astrology and it's actually calculated in a slightly different way. But even beyond that, in the West, we focus very much on the sun sign. Like everyone, if you say, what's your sign? Everyone will say their sun sign, which represents kind of a more active masculine yang force or energy. And in the Eastern astrology, there's much more focus on the moon sign, which is the yin feminine kind of internal process, emotional body. Um, and I just think that's very interesting kind of reflection of like how our, how our societies are structured too. In the West, we're very focused on like actions out in the world, progress, kind of like making stuff happen, achieving things. Whereas Eastern cultures are much more about kind of like inner inner nurturing and inner well-being. It's much more matriarchal societies, you know. So yeah, it's kind of, I really, I'm very passionate about bringing moon sign astrology to the fore to help people really connect to their moon signs. Because our moon sign can really show us what it, what we really need on an emotional level to really feel safe and to be to be strong out in the world also, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I love that that you're doing that, that you're working to bring that more to the forefront because so many people, like you said, they really connect with their sun sign, their zodiac sign. Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't resonate with them, they're very turned off to astrology mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Like all those people out there, I'm thinking of even <laughs> a lot of people in my personal life who are yeah. like, well, not all Pisces are going to be exactly the same. And like, of course of that's course true. Not. Yes. <laughs> so to know your whole chart and mm-hmm. specifically your moon sign, like you're mm. saying, is amazing. Mm. And I love in your book that you refer to your husband as the Pisces. But he's just the Pisces, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> your ex was the Capricorn. He was the Capricorn. <laughs> and I just thought that that was so brilliant that you <laughs> referred to them that way. Um, so tell us a little bit about coming out of that relationship with mm. the Capricorn. Mm. A lot of my listeners have been through trauma and... Mm-hmm. I've talked a lot about coming through trauma on this podcast. So Mm. it's a very safe place to talk Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. kind of how you overcame Mm. everything you went through with the Capricorn to build this very flourishing, loving life that you have now. Well, it's so I was with the Capricorn from the age of 16 to 22. 
Um, he was six years older than me. So he was quite a lot older than me when I met him. When I think back now to a 22-year-old, like picking up a 16-year-old, it's kind of a bit gross. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right. Um, but at the time, it just felt like, oh, wow, I was so flattered to be getting this attention from a kind of older man, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that time for many women when you just really want to be noticed and seen and appreciated as a sexual being. And the fact that this kind of very experienced, confident older man thought that I was sexy and attractive was, a, I guess, my, I needed that kind of attention at a time in my life. It was quite a vulnerable time for me. And yeah, it was, it was horrific. <laughs> really, the whole experience, I developed an eating disorder very quickly and was kind of bored. I always say I was borderline anorexic, meaning I never, I was never hospitalized. It never got that bad, in quotation marks, but um, I really starved myself for that entire period but managed to do extremely well at school like (laughs) I was really I mean I really was you know I didn't really have any social life outside the relationship it was extreme he was extremely controlling about who I was allowed to spend time with like it was all the classic kind of you know all the classic stuff that we hear about but it did I guess yeah Doing really well in school, at journalism school, was one of the things that really gave me the confidence to leave. I graduated at the top of my class, which I wasn't expecting at all, considering what kind of emotional turmoil I was experiencing at the time. And it just really made me think, wow, if I can do this in this condition, like, wow, what could I achieve in the world if I really stood up for myself and, you know, and made a stand for myself? And so... I broke up with him like really shortly after graduating college. Not particularly proud of how I did it. I essentially went on holiday with a girlfriend and like slept with somebody else on the first <laughs> night. You were rebelling like, against I was years rebelling. Of not exactly. good treatment. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but I sort of, I think I knew, it was slightly cowardly. I knew that if he found out about this, he would like kick, chuck me, he'd kick yeah. me out. And he did. And then I was like, free. <laughs> yeah, freedom. <laughs> and honestly. That's smart in a way. Yeah, I guess so. Especially at, at yes, the young age. Exactly. Um, I did, I felt, it was probably one of the most powerful times I felt the most powerful was just kind of like being able to leave that relationship. I really felt like I kind of saved myself because um, I hadn't had any professional help at any point during that whole period. I was also smoking very strong weed every day because he was really into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my, brain was just a fog really but yeah I left and life just kind of like the color was put on in my life and I immediately started writing for all the magazines I loved in London I met the Pisces six months later and was so wary I was like no because I felt like I had my life my I was in control of my own life for the first time in my adult life and I was like the last thing I want to do is get into another relationship but but <laughs> this Pisces. <laughs> I mean, it was a proper, real love at first sight scenario. We're still together 20 years later. 20 years 20 later. 20 years later. Can you believe it? That's amazing. How did you meet him? We met on a photo shoot. I was um, I was organizing, I was writing a, a piece for a magazine about, it's so funny as well, like when I think about the things that I write about now, but this it was for a magazine. It was called, it was about... Um, 
what the editor called urban lifestyle careerists. And this was this new breed of kind of like entrepreneur who was who were creating careers based on the things they were passionate about and interested Ooh. in. Just kind of like what we all want to do yeah. now. That's like the, the goal now. But at the time, this is when, you know, email, the internet was just starting to come into common use. So for the first time, individuals had the tools at their disposal to be able to create their own businesses or to be able to create their own projects in the world, opposed to having to always work for someone else or work for a firm. It was a much lower level of entry for entrepreneurs. And at the time, the Pisces was running a music PR company. And he was a DJ and he was like one of the the coolest guys in London. Like it just felt like that. Like he was really kind of like in the scene and... (laughs) But yeah, I mean, honestly, we just met on this. He turned up to this photo shoot I'd organized where we were shooting all the people that were in this feature. And it really was like from the minute I first spoke to him, it wasn't even, there was something like something about my soul knew that his soul was going to be in my life forever. It was just like one of those moments that you just can't, it was a a totally numinous moment. It was just this knowing of like, oh, here is someone I was even said it to him the other day. I'm like, he is my home. Like, he is my home base. And it just felt like that from the minute we first spoke to each other. I think I offered him a croissant on this <laughs> photo shoot. <laughs> and that was it. We, we dated for about three months before we even kissed. Wow. Because I was very, like I said, I was just like, I really like this person. And maybe he's just going to be a great friend. Mm. I didn't even, I didn't want to open the door to another relationship having you know, had the whole Capricorn situation be so intense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I ended up like, we moved in after six months. I proposed to him after a year. (laughs) You did? I did. Oh my God, I (laughs) love that. That was so Aries of me. That was so Aries of me. a lot of fire in you. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'm definitely like, if I... If I decide I want something, I'm going to go for it. Like, mm. I'm just going to go for it really quickly. That's the that's a- that's good Aries. That's Aries, pure Aries. And that's why Aries get called selfish a lot, because it's kind of like, there is this, this urge just like, I want that, I'm going to go and get that. But it's not coming from a, I want that so no one else can have it. It's like, I'm just going to, I'm just getting what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just getting what I want. And with him, like, like I said, I mean, I knew this person was going to be someone, be in my life forever. I had never thought I wanted to get married. Like my parents were divorced. And I I actually have a really strong memory of my dad telling me when I was about eight years old, don't worry about, don't feel like you need to get married. I think he said it in a way as to kind of like not put any pressure on me. That kind of pressure that Mm -hmm. some women feel is like, I have to get married to complete myself. He was giving me the whole thing of like, you don't need to get married. It's not, it doesn't really mean anything. So I'd always had this mentality of like, marriage, who needs it? (laughs) It's just a piece of paper. That's so (laughs) interesting. And the Capricorn had asked me repeatedly to marry him. And thank God, I always said no. <laughs> thank God. Thank God. So I never really, but then with Simon, with the Pisces. <laughs> I love it. He does have a real name. He does. He does. Um, it was the 29th of February, which is like the leap year. And in the UK, is it the same here? There's a tradition that on the 29th of February, a woman is allowed to ask a man to marry her. Oh, if if so, I haven't heard it before here. Interesting. Well, it's maybe, yeah, I think it's in the UK and Ireland as well. The 29th, the leap year, is traditionally a year when women are allowed to do the proposing. And that was coming up. It was like one, it was almost our first year anniversary of actually being together. And um. I was kind of, I was working in a bar at the time and I just remember telling all the regulars in the bar, I was like, should I ask him? I really like him. I really want to ask him. 
That's, I love And then that. we went out that night and he was a little drunk and it kind of just came out and that was that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And 20 years later. Well, it'll be 20 years this coming Christmas. So we've oh, just yeah. had our, we just had 19, but yeah. Amazing. Two decades. I know. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love that. And, and so- he's still my best friend. And I still feel exactly the same way about him. And this is, you know, I talk in my book and all of my work about like learning how to listen to your intuition and with him, like I said, I just knew there was no question in my mind that this person was was somebody, whether he was going to be a friend, lover, whatever. I knew that he was my person. The intuition always knows. It's it so does. strong. Yes. I had a similar with meeting my mm. um, my Leo, I should say. Love it. <laughs> um, Jonathan. <laughs> I We met in kind of a serendipitous way also, Mm. in a way. He Mm. came to an app launch party that I was hosting on Mm -hmm. behalf of the company that he works for, Mm. Orange Theory Fitness, Mm. which you guys have out here too, but it's bigger in um, California. And I saw him and something about him I knew. I just knew he was going to be in my life. Mm -hmm. And we were friends for years before Mm. we started dating. Mm -hmm. But something about him where he came to this party, he knew no one. And he met my whole family, all my (laughs) friends, all these people before he met me because I was hosting the party and I was just all over the place. And at one point, my sister had been talking to him and Mm. she grabbed me as I was going by and said, you have to meet Jonathan. He came to your Apple Launch party. He's never met anyone here. What a great guy. You have to talk Mm. to him. So we talked and I could just tell he had such this quality about him where I felt so at home with him. Mm-hmm. And then every person at that whole party, so many people, like, did you meet Jonathan from Orange Theory? Because he's amazing. And <laughs> but hearing you talk about the way that you two met reminds me of that. Because mm-hmm. even if you don't know what it is that's coming down, down the line, you kind of know okay, well, we know each other. Our souls know each other and we're meant exactly. to, to be here in this in this life together, knowing each other in some way. Exactly. And I wonder though, we both use that word home and that's a very Cancer moon need. Like Cancer is the sign that represents home. Mm. And I think that for me, that's how I, that's the kind of word or feeling I would use to describe the people I feel safest with. Again, safety, very Cancerian need. A yeah. moon sign speaks to what we really need at soul level. So to fe- to be with people, to have people in my life who feel like home, who make me feel safe, is very, very important for me to then go and be the kind of extroverted part of my nature, the, the kind of airy, sage part out in the world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense mm. that the home would be so important for us. I think probably every day I tell Jonathan that he's my home mm, and that wherever he is, that. is home to me. Him and Hudson, my cat. Um, <laughs> that's my home is those yes. two. We could be anywhere. Yes. And yeah, that's so interesting to think that it draws back to the moon sign. Exactly. And in fact, when you're thinking about um, love and relationship compatibility, looking for compatible moons is actually more important, I think, than suns almost. Really? Mm. So what is your husband? He's moon? actually a Virgo moon. Okay. Which is not necessarily, you wouldn't, it's not necessarily a sign that goes that well with cancer as sun signs, particularly. But he has a need to kind of like provide mm-hmm. and to just kind of like be of service. That's amazing. <laughs> which I kind of love. <laughs> yeah. But no, he just has a need to kind of like be, be good and like just kind of like, 
be there for people, you know? So yeah, he definitely, I feel like he really looks after me. That's such a good match. Yes. I love that. Yes. Jonathan's a Pisces moon and we recently read all about it because we Mm. finally found out the exact time of day that he was born Mm. so we could figure it all out. And he's a Pisces moon to a T, very, very similar, kind Mm. of like caretaking and um, very hard on themselves in so many ways, Mm -hmm. but in all the ways that um, I'm not. And so Mm. it's just this crazy balance. It's... It's so nice. Yeah, that's another, yeah, great thing. Like, you know, it's one of the best things astrology is best for is looking at relationships and compatibility. And obviously I talk in my book as well about how learning about my moon sign and learning about my chart and my mom's chart really helped us to kind of like heal our relationship too, you know? It really made me be able to look at her from a less kind of emotional or reactive perspective, actually just look at her as a whole human being and look at what her needs are you know, separate from my needs of her as my mum. Like, what are her needs? What does she actually need? And how can I, as an adult now, like, give her some of what she needs, which is basically just opening up to her more about my emotional life. <laughs> it's all she ever wanted from me. <laughs> I know. I thought that was amazing mm. that you were able, through the birth chart reading, to kind of mend this relationship with your mom and find this yeah. closeness. I mean, it wasn't as simple as obviously then. Right. You, it's one thing to like see these things. It's another thing to then act on it and actually have the painful conversation or actually open up to her about the things that I had felt like she wouldn't understand or like the whole, the Capricorn relationship, she didn't know anything that was going on behind the scenes. I just really cut her out of my life at that wow. point, you know? So yeah, she she read about it for the first time in my book. Wow, that's big. I mean, she knew about him and she she obviously knew he was not a great guy and didn't approve of the relationship. But I moved out of I moved out of home very quickly and moved in with him as after I met him. So she really didn't know anything that was going on. That's such an interesting thing as, mm. as an author of basically mm. your own life story. <laughs> People learning these things about you. Yes. And how was that for you? How did that feel to have your mom learning about the Capricorn for the first time and then everyone else in your life probably learning a great deal about you as well. Mm. Well, I actually, it, it it feels now like it was the reason I wrote the book, honestly. I, I gave my mom the manuscript um, unedited, like before anyone else had seen it, before I edited it with my editor, because I was concerned that she would feel exposed by some of the things I'd written about her, I really, and I gave her, I was like, anything you want taken out or don't feel comfortable with, that's fine. Like you have complete say over that side of things. I really wanted her to feel comfortable first and foremost. As a journalist in the UK, I had written a couple of times about more personal things. Like I'd written about my choice not to have children. I'd written about some things to do with my marriage and she was quite upset about it mm-hmm. because she was kind of like, she'd felt she was being exposed, even yeah. though it was stuff about me. So I just really wanted with this to make sure that she was cool with everything. And it wasn't until I was sending her the email that I was like, there's so much you don't know. Oh my goodness. And it really hadn't ever occurred to me how much I'd kept from her. I didn't feel like I was keeping things from her. I just felt like I was living my life and she wouldn't be interested or didn't need to know or we didn't have that kind of a relationship. But giving her the manuscript, having her read the whole thing, (laughs) it was petrifying but it was the most incredible healing experience of my life, like really of my life. It just felt like she sent me an email. At first she was, 
there was lots for her to process and she was quite upset that there were things that she didn't know. She felt um, guilty in a way for not having been able to protect me. And that's not a reaction I expected at all. But like, of course. Mm -hmm. And I was able to say to her, gosh, you know, it wasn't for you to protect me. I made these choices myself. Like we had that whole conversation. But yeah, then she sent me another email a little while later just saying, you know, thank you so much. You, I feel like you've come back to me. I feel like I have my daughter back, you know? And it was, it was incredibly moving. It was an amazing moment and experience. And our relationship since then has been so much stronger and so much more intimate. And it's been really great. And then also, you know, she was like, You've reminded me of so many of the things I used to be into. She's bought crystals. <laughs> She's oh been gosh. seeing an energy healer, like all this stuff. So cool. So she really had kind inspired. of like, because she was really into all that stuff when I was a kid. But I think she had sort of, you know, suppressed it or sort of like let it fall by the wayside. And, and she was inspired to pick up lots of these practices again too, which is amazing. <laughs> wow. I love mm. that. So that's that's really, I think for all the writers listening, that's such an amazing and inspiring story because it really takes so much guts and bravery to share so deeply about the things that people in your life have never Mm. necessarily read or known Mm -hmm. before. Mm. So that's amazing that that was the outcome. I'm also really lucky that she's very, she has high emotional intelligence. She's also a Pisces. So Mm. the the book is dedicated to my Pisces. And it was for her also, because I couldn't decide whether to dedicate it to her or to my husband. My nephew's also a Pisces. <laughs> and so I also like Pisces. to say that the dedication is kind of, it's to my, it's to the part of me that's Pisces too. Because the, uh, Pisces is the most numinous part of our chart. It's the most numinous part of the Zodiac. It rules the 12th house, which is where we, you know, have a connection to the divine. We have a connection to the spirit. So it's to my own, to my Pisces too. I have my Venus in Pisces. So it's to that part of me as well. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, that makes me wonder. I, I have all my chart stuff right here. Do I have anything in Pisces? <laughs> I have zero things in Pisces. But Pisces so will rule one of the houses of your oh, chart. Okay. So it will so rule a, an area of your that's life. That's what I have to yes. look. I'm still learning how to read it all. It's, it's so look. fun. Is it? Well, it's not in a chart oh, form. Okay. I just wrote it like this. Okay, like okay. Sun and Libra, air, moon and cancer, water. I see. That's okay. the way I wrote it. Well, no, if we, look at your, if we look at the wheel, I can show you which house is ruled by Pisces. Oh. So you can say it might be your communication house oh, okay. or it might be your creativity house or whatever. And that would be where your Pisces expresses itself. Oh, good. Okay, mm. so before you leave, we're going to look at yeah. it. I'm excited. <laughs> totally. um, and then I have to go learn how to do all this stuff. So this is something I was kind of saying to you before we started mm. recording, which mm. was my experience with getting into all of this mystical, spiritual stuff is that I, every time I'm exposed to something that really impresses me, I want to go down that path. So people listening know that I have talked very, very length about (laughs) wanting to be a shaman and a kundalini teacher and a Reiki master and an herbalist and an Ayurvedic doctor and (laughs) <laughs> the list goes on. And I actually do want to do all of those things. And I mm. don't want to sell myself short because I probably will do a lot of those things at some point. But I often come back to thinking, is my place in all of this? Because it causes me stress. Mm. Um, like, I feel like I have this spiritual work to do mm. and I must go do it. That's like the mm. stress that I feel. And other days I can let it go a little more easily. And then sometimes I feel that maybe my place is 
writing and talking about it, which I'm already doing. And that's so much fun. Um, And you're clearly such a writer and talker as well. So have you had that experience of wanting to really pursue these things also as you get to learn so much about them? Astrology is really the only one that I've kind of really felt like this is something I want to be able to do. And I recently did a deeper astrology (laughs) mentorship with an astrologer here called Rebecca Gordon, who's also fantastic. It's funny, I think I went to like a Lululemon event once where one of their community managers gave a talk about you know, success and achievement. And she was talking about how we're taught to, you know, do the things that challenge you and kind of like push yourself to kind of like overcome obstacles and and learn new things. And she was like, well, actually the most successful people and the happiest people play to their strengths. And by following the path of least resistance, you actually go further faster. So I love astrology, but I still find it very difficult. And I could become an astrologer but I love writing so much and writing my books has really reminded me of that. Like the thought of having 50,000 words to write on my favorite subject and me getting to clear my calendar of everything else and just do that for six months is like heaven. (laughs) And I've learned, and as I talk about in my book, to trust that following the feeling that's like, yes, this feels really great is the way to go. And as much as there are all these other kind of like shiny distractions and things I might be interested in, that actually just keeping them as hobbies and interests is enough for me. And I love writing. And I know that, I think as well as a writer, it can kind of feel like everyone's a writer. Like everyone's got a blog, everyone's writing books, everyone's this and that. And oh, what's so special about me being a writer then? Like, I've had those <laughs> everyone's a writer. times, yeah, too, where like, I want to be this special shaman because that's so, <laughs> so cool. But I mean, it's true. I mean, being a writer is so cool also. Yes, and how else are other people going to discover these amazing tools to help them heal their own lives and develop themselves without people who feel really passionately and comfortable with kind of writing about and sharing about and, talking about these things, you know? Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I haven't, astrology is something I love to pursue for my own interests. And also since we publish so much stuff about astrology on the Numinous, I feel like I need as an editor to have a really good working knowledge so that I know what I'm publishing, so true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But as well, you have Aquarius rising, right? Yeah. So Aquarius is very much kind of like, let me do all the things. It's yeah. quite, it can be quite a little bit scattered, but also very adept at lots of different things as well. And lots right. of different kind of technologies and sci- science and technology. So Kundalini Yoga, Ayurveda, mm-hmm. these things are going to be like super appealing to your rising sign. Right. And actually your rising sign is often how you express in the world. So having a really portfolio career where you actually kind of bring some of these modalities into your blogging work, your writing work, into other books you're going to write could actually be very aligned for you. Yeah, that's how it feels. Mm. That's how it feels. It's mm. like the more I can learn about those things, the more I can write about them and mm-hmm. then feel as a writer, like very, very fulfilled. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, as you're saying, with the path of least resistance, I have been told and known since I was about like six that like writing is my path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the path of least resistance. Mm. It's easy for mm. me because I love it. And same with you. I mm-hmm. mean, it's your heaven to write your book for the next yes. six months. <laughs> exactly. um, that makes so much sense. And for me, maybe that looks like studying more Kundalini and 
Ayurveda so that for future books and blog posts and everything, it comes from a place of deep knowledge. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Which feels really good. Yes. <laughs> so what your next book, can you tell yes. us what it's about? So the next book is called Sober Curious. Love it and it's so much. And it's a little bit of a diversion. It's a little bit of a surprise, I guess, like from Material Girl, Mystical World. But actually the kind of surprise subplot of my first book was me really reevaluating my relationship with alcohol how I was using it, but then also how we as a society use alcohol and how it's such a prevalent substance when it's very, very potent psychoactive drug that can have a very negative side effect when you use it regularly. It also really struck me that as more and more of us are heavily invested in our wellness, invest, and by invested, I mean like physically, emotionally, financially, in terms of the amount of time we're spending, being like as healthy as we can be. Drinking seemed to just be very kind of like counter to that. It was like this kind of disconnect. So it's a subject that's become really interesting to me. I mean, I should say when I left the Capricorn, um, I was kind of, I, I I wasn't so deeply in my eating disorder. I was kind of like coming out of it. But I just, he was very anti alcohol. And alcohol was definitely a bridge for me leaving that relationship too. Like it it excited that rebel in me that you talked about, you know, it gave me the courage almost to kind of like just follow my own path. Um, And then the Pisces when I met him was like a DJ and a club promoter. So my life went very quickly to being very kind of nightclub-y, very late night, lots and lots of alcohol. And I did definitely develop very habitual ingrained drinking patterns. I'm still reluctant to call myself an alcoholic, but I definitely had an addiction to alcohol. And so the past seven years or so, which has been the backdrop to my whole spiritual awakening, building the numinous, writing my book, I've been really reevaluating that to the point that two years ago, I launched an event series here in New York called Club Soda, which stands for Sober or Debating Abstinence. Because what I realized on this path was that if I acknowledged that I had difficulty not drinking to the point that it was sometimes presenting as a problem in my life, the only option for me was to go to AA. And that felt very extreme. And again, it's another big fat label, right? I am my I am Ruby and I'm an alcoholic. And then it's like, okay, I'm labeled with that now. And that becomes my whole life and my identity. And like, it felt like the opposite of a positive affirmation <laughs> to me. Totally. You know, step one of the 12 step program is I admit that I am powerless over alcohol. Yeah. It's the I opposite of I everything I've that. been learning about how we change our patterns and how we kind of like make progress for ourselves. Right. So I really wanted to create a different conversation for anyone who might find themselves at this similar crossroads with alcohol, which can often look like. I drink because all my friends drink and it's just a big part of my social life. And yet I know it doesn't make me feel that good. And yet when I don't drink, I'm ostracized or I kind of feel like an outsider or I can't join in. And so the book is about that, about being in that point and like all the tools that I have learned on my journey for following my own path, answering all the questions I had about alcohol, like why does everyone drink so much? And Why is it so ingrained in society? And why do I find it really hard not to sometimes? Why do I even want to drink in the first place? Like all these things. So 
I think I'm actually more excited about this book than even your first book. And I didn't think that I was going to say that. (laughs) I didn't think it was going to be because I knew it would be more of a niche topic since Mm. the first book is your whole story. Mm. Mm. Oh my gosh, because that, that speaks to me on so many levels as someone who just generally really doesn't like alcohol. Mm. Um, And I drank so much in high school and college, especially, Mm. really both. I was more wild in high school, believe it or not. And then in college, I really was too with Mm. alcohol because it was just, it's ingrained Mm -hmm. in the college culture, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in LA and cities, well, everywhere. Everywhere. I guess small towns, especially, like everywhere. Yeah. I remember, because I've, I've always been super open with my parents. I think when I was 16, we had the conversation of, I'm going to drink alcohol. It's a really big part of my social life. And I just don't want to lie to you so that mm. I can be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've always talked a lot about it. And talking to them in college, like explaining how people, myself included, just shots after shot after yeah. shot after shot. My parents would say, and it was more just like laughing because nobody was very concerned, but like... Mm. That's so unhealthy. That's something that back when they were in college and young just wasn't normal. And Mm -hmm. like how unbelievably unhealthy is that to take? Mm. I would would take like nine shots in a night all the time um, for years and go out sometimes every single night of the week. And then when I turned 21, which is hilarious, I really just was just like, I don't really like this anymore. I'm not even like a nighttime person. Mm. And I continued to go out and to drink because that was my whole Mm -hmm. social life. And then graduating, moving to New York was the most free I've ever felt in my life because I was really free from what I started referring to as social obligations, which was such a bad way to look at my social life, which is supposed to be fun and your friends and Mm. loving. And I mean, I still love all these people, but Mm. we really had to find new ways Mm -hmm. to be in each other's lives, Mm. a lot of us. Mm. And, And then even for the next few years, it was still like really struggling. Like I would still drink because... I mean, I had to connect with my friends. We had to do things on the weekends. Yes. Um, and then over just, I guess, the last two years, I've gotten so comfortable with who I am, which is someone who I just drink so rarely that coming into 2018, I've decided without labels and rules because mm-hmm. I don't like those, mm-hmm. but still, because it actually feels really good to me. Mm. I highly doubt that I will have a single drink this whole year. Mm. And... I'd be shocked if I did because mm-hmm. I just don't want to. Mm. And if I do want to at like one of my best friend's weddings or something, that could happen. And so there aren't rules, but I feel better thinking that I won't. I just don't like it. And I put such an emphasis on my health and wellness. And I know that was one of the reasons that that you said kind of that people are maybe mm. veering away from alcohol a little. So. Mm-hmm. With your event series, Club Soda, which mm-hmm. is the best because that is <laughs> what I sip on at bars. Yeah, right. Um, how do you find like that? What is the conversation amongst people there? Are these people who are so happy to have an event to go to that is not based around alcohol or people who already are not drinking a lot of alcohol or 
both? It's kind of a combination. I partnered with Biet Simkin, who I think you know. She's coming over in like yes. two hours. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing. So Biet and I run Club Soda together. I had had the idea for it and I really wanted to partner with someone who has like a 12-step recovery background so that I knew we were talking about this responsibly because I knew we would appeal to people who were also in recovery and probably just looking for some more fun stuff to do outside of like AA meetings or whatever. But we generally have people who are just really invested in like, I want to do something really good with my life. I want to really live life to the fullest and alcohol is getting in the way of that. And yet there are very few options for me outside of, yeah, being in recovery or just like never going out. Right. (laughs) So yeah, it's a real mixture. But generally, definitely people who are really wanting to feel their best and just kind of like be as well as they can, you know? Yeah. And we, so our, our events always have some kind of a theme and it's generally themed around something that might present as an issue if you say you're not drinking and everyone else is. So we've done them around dating, for example. That's a huge one. And I always feel like it's the one thing I can't really talk to because I've never had to do like sober dating. But I think that's one thing that people find really, really challenging. Dating, conversations, family time, all sorts of different things. We're partnering with Taryn Toomey, who you may know, we're doing an event with her and the class. Um, Just talking about how like a physical workout, the physicality of going against cravings or going against the grain and how challenging that can be. But when we do it, I mean, it's one of the reasons I love yoga, right? Yoga is such an amazing tool for anyone who wants to break any kind of addictive patterning because it really teaches you to feel a feeling in your body and just to let it be there and not react to it. And then just to notice it just to pass and like you move on and you move through it. And that's kind of like what beating an addiction feels like or reversing a habit feels like, you know? So the class is a class. If you have you ever done it, I have. I right. love it. It's intense though. And the first time I Very. went, I was like, never again. Yeah, because it's the deeply screaming, uncomfortable. The, just mm-hmm. the physical pain of it, the physical discomfort. It reminds me of Kundalini in a way. The <laughs> yes. repetitive mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. and the noise mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's very like Kundalini, and Kundalini is a very useful practice for many people who are. I'm doing an addiction as well. And I'm actually going to partner with Guru Jagat to do something Amazing. at the Rama Institute here probably in May so with cool. one of these events too. I just yeah. stumbled in there this morning oh, accidentally. Cool. Mm. Um, I go in LA, but mm-hmm. I was walking by that area this morning and I didn't know that that's where it was because mm. it's new here. Mm, very new, um, yeah. I just thought that that was so synchronistic. Yeah, It just like popped out in my uh-huh. eyes. So I had to go in and buy things. <laughs> they have the best store. Talk awesome. about crystals and yes. stuff. I know. I love Guru Jagat. She's amazing. Yeah, totally. She is. Well, that's exciting that mm. you're going to do that. And it's really exciting yes. that so the book, the book topic. The book is out this t- January 2019. Okay. So I'm kind of in so the writing process we'll now. We'll have to wait a year, but <laughs> I, I can't wait to read and that's it. that's quick in publishing, as you oh, know. I know. That's right. like, I couldn't believe that we could actually get it out that fast. So I'm amazing. really pleased. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So something um, that I was really excited to ask you, because I know there were a few chapters in your last book that didn't get published because mm. you had to cut things out. I did. Which is a true writer that you had so much to say. <laughs> so much. Um, what were some of those topics and 
like, how was that process? Did you get to choose which was taken out or was that your editor? It was a collaborative process and I love my editor dearly and I'm so happy to be working with her again. Um, I was slightly annoyed that she let me write so much. <laughs> totally. Like, that's like 25,000 words, Libby. That's a, like a lot. You could basically start a new book. Basically. But in a, in a way, it was good that I overwrote because those chapters weren't so strong for all sorts of different reasons. Either they were subjects I wasn't so personally into or connected to that I was including because I knew other people were already into them, or they just weren't particularly as well researched. So there was a chapter on angel guide, angels yeah. and spirit guides, which we actually did give out as a, a, a gift um, for pre-orders. Oh, that's so nice. So that was nice. But I wouldn't say that I particularly personally resonate with the idea of having kind of spirit guides. I don't speak to angels mm-hmm. or or particularly resonate. There was one called How to Survive and Thrive on a Radical Wellness Retreat that was a bit I funny. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a funny. travel, travel, travel-y one. And I think Well and Good actually ran a, pe- a part of that um, as part of the promo. There was one just overall on kind of like holistic wellness and different healing practices that was kind of Mm -hmm. interesting, but also it was like lots of bits and pieces of information that you could kind of like read about elsewhere. And there was one called Rebranding the (laughs) C-Words on cults, covens, and conspiracy theories. I like the idea of that (laughs) chapter. I would like to read that. That's, I mean, it was kind of interesting. It was just this theory that I'd had of like all these things which were hallmarks of the new age in the 60s, cults, Commons conspiracy theories that kind of seem a little bit scary are actually all the things that people seem really into right now. <laughs> totally. Like cults are just kind of communities. Like everyone wants to be in a community or in a membership program or like be speaking to their tribe, right? Covens, obviously like witchcraft, modern witchcraft is a huge topic and people are super interested mm-hmm. in all things to do with witchcraft. I used to be kind of scared of that word and now I love it. Right, exactly. Everyone's like reclaiming their inner witch and like really interested in the actual history of witchcraft and what were the witch trials really about and how does it relate to modern feminism? I mean, I touched on that stuff in a couple of the other chapters, obviously. And then conspiracy theories. I mean, it's like, what has what have what has this part of the 21st century been but about whistleblowers and all of these stories coming out to light that are actually like, oh yeah, actually it's all true. Right. Well, <laughs> you exactly. Know? Yeah. This information age that we live in, um, people can really find out the truth and the truth and their own truths very easily now. And so lots of what might have been considered conspiracy theories before are actually proven to be kind of true. So I know. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good topic. Yeah. I was just saying that to my friend here in New York the other night was so much of the food conspiracy. Exactly. Particularly. I mean, that stuff mm-hmm. is so true. And it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that to the majority of the population, it's still just a conspiracy. Exactly. Like, no, that's legitimately true. We the can't f- really trust where food our food is coming and from. medicine. Like medicine. the big pharma oh, conversation even is even in a way. The, the opioid. Every time I see anything about the opioids crisis, I'm like, how is this happening? How is this legal? Yeah. Like, Oh, I know. What's going on here? (laughs) Oh, it's so, the medicine thing kills Mm. me, especially with all these health concerns Mm. I've had lately. Oh, yeah. And just, I'm not usually one to see so many Western doctors at once, but I've Mm. I've had to. Mm -hmm. And some of the answers that I've gotten from them, I'm Mm. like, 
I'm going to go see the angel healers now because <laughs> yeah. I like, it's just not an answer to my, yeah, right. to my questions. It's mm. like a side glance at mm. this horrible full body rash that I have. And after the side glance, it's, oh, it's eczema. So there's one medication for eczema. Steroid it's, creams. Yeah, it's a topical steroid Which are totally cream. addictive. Um, and- right. And also there are 100 different types of eczema if you really look into it. Mm. And I learned, I don't even think it was eczema at all. Mm. And that was because the doctor didn't even get close to me to look. <laughs> and I mean, ugh, that's just one yeah. small little thing. And then there's like, oh, well, you could take an oral steroid. Like, I'm not going to. I want to know why this is happening to mm-hmm. me. It's pretty unbelievable. It really is. And in fact, yes, exactly. The the absolute majority are not educated that it's okay to even ask a question or to question what a doctor is telling you. Right, exactly. Not, uh, yes, I remember when I first moved to America, like watching TV and everyone talks about it, but like just all of the commercials for medications with all of the side effects listed at the end, many of which are death. And it's just like, um, all of those going on here. Death, infertility. Yeah. Internal bleeding. Yeah. The kind of stuff. I mean, it's so weird. I grew up watching those and you don't even question it. And now Mm. on the, when I do turn on the TV and I see those, I am horrified. Mm -hmm. It's unreal. Mm. So unreal. That's Mm. a whole other book topic right there. So you can take that chapter (laughs) and that could be another book because you've got to stay on the train of all these books one after the other. I know. Well, I already have an idea for another book. So (gasps) Oh my God. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to ask you what it is when we're not recording. Yes, yes, Um, exactly. I want to get this one out of the way first. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think getting the second book deal I was concerned, you know, Material Girl Mystical World has done well and it's found it's an audience and a very passionate audience, but it hasn't been like a big bestseller or anything. And so I was kind of... In my eyes, it has been. I feel like I see it everywhere. I knew that the numbers were moderate in terms of sales. And I'm happy to talk about this openly. I think that people think you have a book out and it does, and everyone's Instagramming it and it's a success. And it's like, well, not necessarily, right. <laughs> um, because my crew all Instagramming it, that's great, but it's not necessarily a huge success. And so I was very, I was really sad and it helped me to connect actually to the fact that what I really want to do more than anything else is write and write more books. And I was really concerned that this book not having been a huge success, I wasn't going to be able to get another book deal. But luckily, my amazing editor at HarperCollins um, ran all the numbers and she's like, yes, we're good to go. I'm, I can build a convincing argument for another book with Ruby yes. Warrington. And I was like, thank you so oh, much. Oh, that makes me so, so happy. Yeah. And I do, you know, you mentioned that this book, um, the second book, Sober Curious, is in a way more niche, but I actually see it as much more mainstream. Probably. I think that actually this alcohol conversation, its it affects everybody of all walks of life. Um, and I think it's, whereas, you know, talking about crystals and astrology and is, is kind of, it's quite, I know, it's so it's true. quite like, it's more niche in that it's just one subject, a whole book. But in terms of its appeal, I think it's a real mass market. Book. You are so right. I guess my preferences are so skewed. I'm like, that's the most mainstream book ever. But no, really, just because that really covered so much. And then exactly. this is covering one thing. Exactly. And books that cover one thing, I I think it will do extremely well yeah. because it is 
I mean, that's a topic that is so important. And I heard you talking on another podcast saying that you would like to do a speaking series in colleges yes. and that kind of stuff would go I such talk about a this because you never know who's listening to these things. If anyone's listening who can help, I'd love to do a club soda or sober curious college tour because I think like you identified that those years are when so many of us really learn to drink to excess because it's just how you what's cool and what helps you fit in and you're also at that first stage of being like who am i in the world so it hits you at right at this point when you're the most insecure about your identity here have this thing that's going to make you forget all your insecurities and feel good about yourself in the moment recipe for disaster yeah <laughs> or a recipe for addiction it, is. Yeah, it really addiction. is so yeah I would love to go and have this conversation with like 18 19 year olds and just kind of not say don't drink it's evil but just say here's what drinking is and what it can do for you and here's all the stuff that comes with that and now you make your own informed yeah, educated an choice yeah thing yeah. I love that well, we're going to have to wrap up here in a second. So before we do, I want to ask you a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, which is if you were a color, what color do you feel best <laughs> represents your energy? As an Aries, I do like wearing red. However, I think that like pink and not necessarily even a hot pink, that kind of like lovely Cancerian kind of like soft, just loving heart colored pink <laughs> yeah that's beautiful I think of, yeah it's pink it's I pink. see that yeah I thought you would say pink because of your book cover mm -hmm. but that is like a hot pink that's a hot pink yeah oh that's, that's beautiful. a fashion pink I think that my the, my essence is a a softer kind of rose pink mm -hmm. yeah I see that very much <laughs> well thank you so much for being here um this was amazing I could talk to you for hours upon hours and um tell everyone where they can find you Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at the underscore numinous, but not at the weekends. <laughs> yes. Oh, and how, uh, that's something I'm going to take away from this conversation and a lot of people listening well too. Um, and the website is the hyphen numinous.com. And actually one of my favorite things that I produce is our weekly newsletter. It's kind of like a little mini magazine almost. You can sign up for that at the website. Um, so yeah, those Amazing. are the best places to find me. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode with the amazing Ruby Warrington. I know you guys have totally fallen in love with her by now and her British accent and everything so amazing about her. She's just epic in every single way. So go ahead and enter our giveaway. We're giving away three of her books. Just follow her on Instagram at the underscore numinous. Subscribe to this podcast and send in a rating and review to iTunes and then email me with proof of rating and review, screenshot, anything that's easy. And thank you guys for the love and support. And also, if you want to keep the conversation going, talk about the episode, how it resonated with you, all that good stuff, then head to Facebook, Soul on Fire Podcast Drive, tribe and join our tribe. So much fun. Love you guys. Thank you for being here and cannot wait to connect next week as always. Mwah.